0: What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Pro GK Podcast, the Quarantine Series. Hopefully, you guys are still being safe, being smart, and doing your solo training at home. We have an all-star cast today of MLS goalkeeper coaches and another roundtable discussion with Phil Wedden from the Philadelphia Union, Todd Hoffer from Real Salt Lake, Paul Rogers from Houston Dynamo, and Chris Sharp from the Colorado Rapids. It's a great discussion, guys. They open up a lot about their philosophies, their session planning, their thought processes, and essentially where they think the game is going and where it's at in its current state. So sit back, relax. Again, hopefully you're at home being safe, being smart. Enjoy this podcast. My name is Omar Zini. We'll see you guys soon. Take care. All right, guys. So I just wanted to start off this panel with a quote that Tim Dittmer mentioned to me on our podcast about something that Peter Schmeichel said at one of their coaches' conferences and he said that, don't worry about locking in technique until after the player's growth. And so I just wanted to start this off with how that quote would land with you guys. And would you guys agree or disagree with what Peter Schmeichel said?
1: Is that before or after Phil does some advertising? Hey,
0: that's the end of it. That's
2: the end of the thing, mate. You, when you say right. you want to plug. <laughs> that's, that's when the, the, the lights start flashing, things like that.
1: <laughs> oh I'm waiting for Sharpie to just turn out with the gloves on. the old core core goalkeeper will be coming out at the end of this omar sorry this is a serious conversation isn't it
0: (laughs) no it could be serious it could be however you guys want it to be i knew even from our text message exchanges that there's going to be a lot of chemistry between you guys so you guys can do it however you want we've
2: we've got chemistry yeah (laughs) (laughs) so to answer your question omar i think um you know, there's so many goalkeeper coaches out there that say that goal, goalkeepers should do this and should do that regardless of their physical parameters. And as you know, the goalkeepers mature at different times, both physically and mentally and emotionally. So technique is something that is formed over time. I don't think you can say a goalkeeper does or doesn't have technique until they are a little bit more mature. So, I mean, I don't know what you guys think.
3: I mean, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I think, you know, you're there is, in my opinion, there's no cookie-cutter technique. You know, and it, it all bases on that individual, you know, whether it's their, their physical attributes or, or whatever. You know, you look at somebody like a Peter Schmeichel, one of the best goalkeepers of all time. But he had a very unique style, a very unique technical ability. Same with, you know, Nicky Ramondo, who I had here, you know, a very unique style based on his physical attributes. You know, a lot of those you might not exactly teach a young kid those exact things, but it worked for them. And I think you have to kind of take those attributes into account for, for every different goalkeeper as opposed to saying, okay, this is going to be the cookie cutter goalkeeper and now I'm going to recreate the next cookie cutter and now I'm going to recreate the next one. I think you got to take a lot of those different attributes into, into account every time.
4: I think I, – I agree with that, guys. But, and I think, too, in what Tim said, there comes a point as well. If you feel as a coach you've got a young lad who is probably or has the potential to, to push on to MLS or USL – there comes a point where I think that you have to look at their physical attributes and what they have and begin to start molding them in that, that kind of realm as a goalkeeper. You know, you take Nicky Ramando, he's not going to be a dominant goalkeeper in the air, coming to collect things in the box. He's going to be more of your line goalkeeper and reactions and shot stopping. And obviously you have the traits of his feet as well. And then, You look at, you know, I've watched a bit of of, uh, Phil's goalkeeper with Andre, especially the game against LAFC. You know, he he came and collected quite a few crosses. You know, he's a bigger, he's a longer, he's a more athletic goalkeeper. So I think that comes a point there where you have to start looking at those traits physically and then starting to mould them into that shape if you think they're going to progress forward into whatever it is they're going to progress into.
0: Oh, anything
1: there? Yeah, I mean, going back to the question with what what you're saying, uh, the quote from Schmeichel, I would just look at it the other way than what are you teaching them at a young age? If you're not going to work on technique, you can't work at a young age on the physical aspects.
3: Right.
1: What are you actually teaching them in training? I mean, of course, like, uh, like Todd said, you're not going to do the nuances. There's very small nuances that obviously go on with technique, but you've got to teach in the teaching ages. I mean, when do we learn best? When do we learn a language um, in the young ages? Right. That's, that's, it's proven that up till about twelve year old is, is the best time for you to learn things. Yeah. So you've got to get some teaching, in my opinion, you've got to get some teaching in at that point. Obviously then you get you, you know you're going to become more individualised like everyone's saying because you don't know what the keeper's going to be. Funny enough, I was just talking to somebody yesterday about a goalkeeper who plays over in Motherwell, Gillespie, and English lad was released from Newcastle for being too small. So released from you know typical thing that goes on gets released for being too small. Walks back into Newcastle about five years later. He's six foot four, six foot five. So obviously you've got to work on something until you know he's going to be that. And the one thing you would say you would work on is technique.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And I think, you know, sometimes us young coaches can, I think, get caught up in that mentality of, okay, I want my goalkeeper to be technically sound, really good in the bubble. So I'm going to prioritize that technique so that once they grow into their body, then we can start working on the tactical awareness. But the foundation of technique is already set. And for me, when I start molding a young goalkeeper, my mentality is, okay, I'm going to start working with maybe 60% or 70% technique and then the last 30 to 40% of the session is going to be tactical awareness. So at least we're working on both. But from your guys' experiences molding young goalkeepers and working with young goalkeepers throughout your guys' uh, careers as coaches, what have you guys felt maybe is the right approach there? Should we even talk about percentages or how do you guys balance the technical and tactical uh, growth?
2: Well, I think, Omar, if, if you're looking at the, the game as a whole, you, you've got to use the different components. So, um, obviously, you know, do you class technical as the way that a goalkeeper moves and teaching movement dynamics and things like that? So, um, that, for me, that that comes into it as well. So, you have a physical component. Um, obviously, you're trying to deal with the psychological side as well. So, yeah, I mean, if if we want to give a really brief answer, then the – At a younger age, you're focused more on technique and throwing in basic tactical principles. Um, Obviously, depending on which club you play for, tactical principles are going to vary. But then as they get older and more refined and you, as as Paul was saying, you find out what type of goalkeeper they're going to be. Now you can train them uh, according to their physical characteristics within the system that you play. I agree
4: too with I think with what Paulie said as well, that, that younger age group into that like U twelve kind of area, that twelve age, I think you have a chance to really hammer in some technical thought process into those young goalkeepers as well. Um, getting them into, as Phil just said, you know, basic tactical principles, but those falls into the technical area as well, you know, understanding your angles and understanding your starting positions and stuff like that. I think that at a younger age, those moments are far more than they do as you get older because as they get older and they get a little bit more experience and, you know, like Phil just mentioned, that the teams they play for have different tactical approaches. You know, your your training model then adapts to that as a coach to help them in, in those moments.
0: Yeah, most definitely. Those are some really good points, guys, and I would really agree because, again, a lot of us young coaches can sometimes overthink that part of the uh, development process, so I'm hoping that they take those notes, and and then whenever the next sessions are, they can hopefully implement some of those uh, points you guys just made, and for this next question, guys, you guys can all answer, but I want to direct it more to Chris because I know Chris has been working with the Rapids Academy for a few years now, and, you know, Chris, you and I spoke about this a few days ago about uh, mixed ability groups, And I get a lot of questions from coaches that they don't know who to direct the session towards—the best player in the group or the worst player in the group. Not the worst, but maybe not as technically sound and is not caught up with the group. So, from all your guys' experiences, how have you guys been able to coach that on the fly and make sure that that doesn't slow down your session?
4: I think it obviously goes back to Todd saying there—that to the level you're at or the level you're coaching to. You know, for me, the DA. You know, we obviously group them in age groups. So it's the 15s and 19 to the 19s together, and the 12s to the 14s. And you know, the the youngest group, the youngest goalkeeper in those groups are always going to be the ones that are a little bit behind the other ones, just naturally, physically, tactically, technically, just because of their age. But for me, you know, we talked a lot about it in those podcasts, and obviously size of groups and numbers in your groups. But you build your sessions, obviously, whatever your your topic of the week looks like, or what you're trying to achieve in that week, uh, to 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 the top goalkeeper and you know you find moments, natural stoppages in your in your sessions and moments within your sessions where you can address the, the younger or the weaker goalkeeper, so to speak, in, in that instance, um, for certain things, you know, and, and for me personally, you know, it, it is working towards the, the the higher level goalkeeper in the group and letting the younger guys kind of catch up. And I think it's a for me it it's proven to be a quicker way of development for those guys. But in those those intimate sessions where you only have four, five, six, seven goalkeepers in the DA that I deal with, you have there is time, there is natural stoppages, there is moments where you can pull those younger ones or, or, the, or the less uh, you know, of, of the quality and, and kind of just talk them a little bit and talk them through things. And again, it's having the ability to coach on the fly in the sessions, finding moments in the sessions as you're serving balls or as the, the session's going to, to find those moments to coach those goalkeepers and keep them well engaged and keep them you know, ticking over and, and you know, moving towards what you want them to achieve.
1: I think he t- Chris touched on something there with the, um, with the size of the group. And obviously, we're all working with maximum, I would guess, four keepers in the pro teams. So it's, it's not really an issue, right? You're gearing it around who's playing at the weekend. You can stay after and, and do a bit with maybe the number, number three, number four. But in the academies, it's an issue. And if you look at full circle, um, I'm sure a lot of us have been in the same conversation about the level of goalkeeping in, in the US right now. For me, it's there's not the attention at the younger ages. I mean, Sharpies just said they're 15 to 19. I mean, you're going across four age bands, which you know, let's say you've got two keepers at each age band. Obviously, there's there's a jump from the 17s to the 19s, but even say you've got those two keepers, that's a lot of goalkeepers at each age group that you're trying to work with, and these are the learning years. You know, you pull in a, and obviously all of us have dealt with a 30 year old goalkeeper. Can you make them better? Yeah, you can make them sharper. The reading of the game gets better. Um, it's a back and forth more, but you're not going to teach them something totally new. It might be an, an adaptation of something they already do. But with those young kids up to the 19s, or I would say even up to the 17s, they're really the years that you can, you can drum into them. Um, and if they're not getting the attention, both in the goal and in the training session, meaning with the team and without the team, then you're going to lose a lot of their development because we all talk about players need to play, players need to play, players need to play. But how many MLS academies does a goalkeeping coach go, say, with the 17s, which obviously is one of the most important age, if not the most important age, and follow them through their whole session rather than they're still working with the 15s or, or even more so working with the 12s. That's a, that's a bit of an issue when you're talking about coaching and contact time. You know, we always think of contact time as us and the goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you know contact time is us, the goalkeeper, the team. is the team, the goalkeeper, us the goalkeeper and the head coach. So they're actually developing as a football player, not just developing as somebody that trains on the side. And then, you know, you're trying to squeeze them into, into getting minutes. Um, and obviously at the MLS level, having the USL teams has been massive because now you can get your, your number two, your number three, or whoever's not playing, or your U19, you can get them games and meaningful games. Um, and I think, it, it, you know, you can go to a bigger conversation with this Omar and say, what does the college system do to keep us? Yeah, you know, what does it do we
0: to guys? No, I'd love to talk about that. I think, in my opinion, the college system is is important for some people because they need those three to four years to mentally and physically mature into their bodies and into the mindsets of understanding how to deal with adversity and overcome adversity. I think in this culture, in this kind of caudal culture, a lot of us don't have that adversity really. Like Chris Sharp moving to Blackburn at age 15 to go play, and right away you're moving away from home. You're being forced into that adversity and to have to grow thick skin. And I feel like here in the U.S., we have to have that, and I think a college system and a college environment may be the opportunity for some of those guys to go get games and to uh, go get some minutes that they otherwise wouldn't get in the professional game. So, you know, I don't know how you guys feel when you guys get those college goalkeepers that, you know, come through that system. So I don't know. How do you guys feel?
2: I think there's – there's two parts to this. Uh, just to go, go back one part and and address something else that we, we didn't touch on. Um, sometimes giving up on a goalkeeper isn't our choice. Sometimes the person above you says, ah, I don't like that goalkeeper for whatever reason, and they move on. And as a goalkeeper coach, you say, yes, boss, and you train the next goalkeeper to be the best that he can be. With... with with the college system, the question that I would have—I mean, yes, there are 20, 20 games a season, assuming that a goalkeeper gets all twenty games. But then, what is the standard of training? Who is the goalkeeper coach? What is his or her background? You know, um, are, are they getting the quality training? Are they developing professional habits in that environment? And that's 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 a question that only the goalkeepers themselves uh, can answer, I think.
4: Yeah, I think also too to add on the fields that. Something I'm seeing a lot of the DA boys is, it's also are they choosing the right college? And when I say that, I mean, you know, you take the UCons and the you know the NCS and and the schools that are continually producing MLS players, and you know they have the the recruitment of the best players in the country as well. And you have a, you know, I'll take my 19s goalkeeper who will be a homegrown goalkeeper at some point. Um, national team goalkeeper, but he's got offers from every school in the country, every big school in the country. But he chose to go to a, a school that isn't as big, but he will be the number one, as opposed to going in as a freshman and being a two, a number two or a number three at one of the bigger schools, and potentially being behind someone for two years and not playing for third year. So I think that's another part of it as well. Is you know the boys we're bringing out of the draft or out of college that we're bringing into the MS, MLS, you know, environment. Some of those boys that have only played. 40 games in four years, you know, as where some, you know, I think to the choice of the college is a huge piece of it as well, where they can play every minute of every game over four years. Just something I look at with those boys.
0: And Todd, you know, one thing that you did mention in our podcast was that there are some goalkeepers that you kind of come across and you say, Hey, when you go to the college that you choose, I hope you don't play so that you can kind of deal with that adversity of not being the number one. And so do you feel like that is, you know, still something that you stand by and something that you uh, feel will get these kids to have thicker skin?
3: I think so. Uh, I mean, if if a goalkeeper's always been a first team goalkeeper all their life, and, and they know that regardless of what they do in training, they're always going to be in the lineup on a Saturday, does that really benefit them to really strive to be better at their craft? You know, I, I look at it as they might not really have that attribute of okay, I, I know I've got a to battle today. I know I know I got to show up. I know I have to be you know on top of my game, so I am available for selection uh, and possibly gain that starting spot on on the Saturday. Uh, a lot of the, the kids that I've worked with through the past, it's like they, they kind of lose some of that edge if they don't know what it's like to be a number two. They don't know what it's like to be a number three. And I think that's a key attribute for any top goalkeeper, you know, to have that, that fight and that drive. Now, I go along with, you know, saying something like you know, Sharpie was saying where they go to a big school and maybe they only play their senior year. Well, then that's, that's something a little bit different. That's a different kind of topic. And I agree that that's something you probably don't want. It's down to that that ten thousand hours. You know, you, you the more you can put yourself in the situations, the better situations you're probably going to make because you've kind of been there, done that type of thing before. But I definitely, I definitely think there has to be a little bit of that edge, that little bit of that drive in a goalkeeper that uh, wants to fight and battle for their spot, and then once they get that spot, they don't want to lose that spot uh, because they have a the, little bit of that passion. They've been that number two, and they know what or that number three, and they know what it takes to to, to gain that number one spot.
0: For sure. No, yeah. So building off of that point, guys, bringing the younger goalkeepers into that first team environment. And, you know, Todd and Chris, you guys have both had legends of the game, older goalkeepers who may not need the same amount of work and attention on the field because their bodies don't want to take that beating. So how have you guys been able to adjust and adapt those kinds of sessions so that the number one is still being attended to and getting what they need, but the number two and three are, you know, learning your philosophy and at the same time getting in that work at sessions?
3: That's a tricky one. You want to start with that one, Sharpie?
4: Yeah, i go from A no, look. I think Omar, you and I have talked a lot about this in the last couple of months. And I think too, having you know, and to be fair, Todd and I have had a million conversations about this in the last three years, about obviously Nikki and Tim. But for me it goes back to, to planning and organising and making sure that you are well versed in the week coming up. You know, obviously the, the number one, it's about him and, and what he needs before the game on the weekend. But finding the early days in the week, Monday and Tuesday, to to balance those days out with maybe, you know, Nikki and Tim need an extra day in the gym and an extra day of recovery. But generally, it was a Monday, Tuesday type two days to get after the two, three and the four um, and work on what they needed to work on and also make sure that two was ready just in case something did happen during the week. They need to play on the weekend and then Obviously, turning our attentions towards the game on the weekend, wherever we were playing, and then allowing you know the number one and the number two and the number three, just in case, to see things that we were going to see on the weekend. But I think going back to your question, the planning and the organising of your week and making sure that you're touching on everybody. Um, and as Paul said before, you know we've got four goalkeepers at max in our group, so you know if you're working hard towards something for the weekend with the one and the two, and you've got time after, which we do have, to, to work with the three and the four and finding moments within the week to to really work those other three guys other than your number
3: one yeah and the one thing i would it would add to that as well is is the communication piece you know the communication piece between myself and nikki and i'm sure with with chris and and uh with tim as well you know that that understanding of hey how are you feeling being open and honest you know every morning i'd go up to him and i'd like how do you feel today how's your body you know at 40 years old it's a little bit different than say a 25 year old kid. You know, and having also that, that, that communication between the other goalkeepers, you know, that they, they understand that Nicky is the priority. He's probably going to play on the weekend. The preparation, the training is going to be geared towards that more of that number one. But also, what do you guys feel you need? Here are some things that I think we need to kind of focus and, and work on throughout the course of the week. But are there other things that maybe you want to add? Uh, I feel that that's a, that's a big one, that communication, you know, not just with, with the older, older senior goalkeeper, but with those younger goalkeepers as well. I'd probably give a little bit more leniency towards, you know, what we're going to do with, with the older, more experienced goalkeeper than say a David Ochoa that's 18, 19 years old. I'm going to probably spoon feed a little bit more information that I feel we need, as opposed to getting information from him, but still, I'm going to give him that, that opportunity to speak. And I think that, that, That goes a long way with that communication of also building that trust, which we all have have talked about, you know, in other podcasts and things that I've, I've listened to everybody else, you know, discuss of having that trust between coach and goalkeeper, you know, and I think that communication piece really builds that trust.
0: For sure. And, and Phil, I kind of want to get to you on this topic of trust because, you know, you stepping into the first team now with Philadelphia Union, uh, you're having to deal with new personalities, different goalkeepers, and they're having to deal with a new coach and kind of you guys' is meshing of philosophies and ideas and how you guys want to approach the game week and training week as well. And on a smaller scale, we have coaches who, let's say, are going from a high school level to a college level, and they're going to step in with a new unit, new goalkeeper, and they have to develop that language and that trust between uh, the two units. So how have you been able to to step in and get the confidence of the guys and, again, build that trust within the group?
2: Well, I, I, to be honest with you, I was sort of in the environment all last year as well. Um, not by title, but uh, multiple times a week I was in there. So I had a, a rapport with them anyway. Um, but when it sort of became official, if you like, uh, again, it comes down to communication. There was a lot of communication that happened before the season. Obviously, uh, making myself available to them, discussing ideas, making sure we're all on the same page and all going towards uh, the same goal. And, uh, you know, fortunately enough for me, um, they've all responded. And and up until this recent break, I thought uh, all three of our goalkeepers were playing quite well. So, uh, no, I, it, it really depends on the relationships. It's about relationships and trust. Uh, having an open mind on your end, of, your end of things. I mean, I've got an older goalkeeper as well here who's been in the league and has been a number one in the league. And then we've got the current number one as well, who has his way of doing things. So having an open dialogue of uh, you know, what works, what doesn't work, what do they like, what do they not like, and then trying to then mould your training sessions to make them effective for all of the goalkeepers, but geared towards helping them progress towards their goals. And that is obviously
0: to win every week. Agreed, and and Paul, I kind of want to ask you about this because you know you stepping in and feel as well with the national team, women's national team, with someone as legendary as Hope Solo. Sometimes uh, people think that when they get into a, an environment where there's somebody with that kind of a personality, you have to almost prove to them that you know what you're talking about and justify and validate to them that. You're, there's a reason why you're there, and you're with the national team. And I think that's a question that I've received recently: is how do I validate and justify my knowledge to my goalkeepers so that they respect me? So, from your perspective, Paul, how were you able to step into that environment? Was it just business as usual, and and how did you kind of go about it?
1: No, not really. I, I, it's funny. Uh, Pablo's just just come to the Dynamo from from Colorado, obviously as an assistant. He said something uh, right at the beginning of the preseason. It's stuck with me ever since. And obviously, someone said it before him, but players don't care what you know until they know you care. And that's it's as simple as that. If they know you care about them getting better, I don't mean care about them as people, but that is a bonus as well. But if they they know you generally care about getting them all better, we're talking about goalkeepers, then you'll be fine. I mean, you shouldn't be in the position we're in if we don't have the background or the knowledge or or the experience or whatever. But you don't have to force that down somebody. And a, a lot of that goes on, unfortunately. And, and people get worried about from a coaching side they get worried about what badge they 're wearing rather than just being the coach. I think we talked about it on that that Instagram thing where you know whether you 're coaching the young kids at twelve or you're working with a first team or you're working doing a, a camp or a clinic you 're still going to coach the same i'm not, not going to do something different with a first team and then with these young kids the the back the, the process through what we 're doing in the session will be the same. Of course, you're going to talk to them a bit different and whatnot because of their ages, but you're still the same coach, you know. And just just because you've been with a national team or been with an MLS team, doesn't make you a better coach. Like there's plenty of coaches. I think I said to you, the the lad that I would say people use the word mentor, no one would know, nobody would know, just a lad that lives in Indiana, American boy that I took to, made my mind think, but he, he didn't care what badge you wore but he was the same coach no matter what. So I don't think you go into it. I don't think you should go into an environment thinking, oh, I've got to prove myself. I would say the bigger one was, and probably the same for Phil as well, we came in to the MLS from the women's game. And I would say that's even bigger because obviously when you walk in, there's going to be players that are like, hang on, what's going on here? Rightly or wrongly, it happens. So I think that's the one where I look back now and think, what did I actually do? I don't think I did anything. I just came in and did my job. And then once the players know you care, it's not a problem. You know, what you know will come out eventually. You don't need to force it down people's throats. And a lot of young coaches, for me, do that. Using the buzzwords, you know, uh, copying sessions without really knowing the content. And we go back to content a lot. It's, It's really having an understanding of coaching. It doesn't matter who you're with or where you are.
0: Perfect. And to build out that point about trust and how Chris said earlier about being organized with your session plans. And I think one way to gain that trust from your goalkeepers is to show them that you care with your session planning and that everything flows from start to finish and that each activation leads into the next progression. And a question that I have for you guys that's been on my mind lately is how important is that rhythm and flow for you guys in a session? And do you guys ever budget? that chaos where when you're sitting down and writing the session and go, okay, everything seems about good here, but when it gets to this drill, or this activation or this progression, things can kind of go off the rails. So how much do you guys care about that rhythm and flow? And do you guys ever budget any chaos in those sessions?
4: I think I think for me, rhythm in a session is everything, especially, you know, and I don't know what the other guys get on a daily basis. I know, you know, especially now with Robin, I get quite a good amount of time in the mornings with the guys before they go into the team, you know, and I can get anywhere between, Thirty to sixty minutes um depending on what the team's working on the day and you know whether I take the boys out a little bit earlier, you know, but I think for me finding a rhythm throughout our goalkeeper session is massively important, you know and that's part of our jobs as coaches too is to help them find a rhythm and you know Phil just said it you felt that his three goalkeepers coming in the break were in great form. I said it to you last week, oh my I felt my four boys were in great form coming in the break and you know they've been they've been playing well, they had a really good preseason, and I think a lot of it contributes to, to having good flow and, and having good rhythm. And, you know, again, obviously the planning piece of it with, with the coaching staff as well in the position that we're in, making sure that, you know, we're working towards things that are going to help us on the weekend. But, you know, I heard I heard Phil say something the other day in, in one of his podcasts that kind of resonated with me a little bit. He's talking about crosses and, you know, working backwards from the end piece, the, the, the end target, you know, back at the start of it. I think that for us in the position that we're in, it is hugely important in creating that flow and that rhythm on a daily basis for those boys as well
3: yeah and and i know for myself um th- that flow and rhythm is is huge and i know we all face the same sort of sort of uh i don't i would guess to say not so fun scenarios where the outfield players you you're playing on a 30 minutes that all of a sudden at the 30 minute mark that's when the goalkeepers are going to begin to integrate and next thing you know now it's 40 minutes now it's maybe 45 minutes and you got a little bit of that 10 you know five to ten minutes of maybe some downtime if you only plan for say a thirty minute session, so I know for myself, I always give myself buffer exercises mm-hmm. so I'll, if I know that i 'm going to have a window of about thirty minutes before the we 're going to join in with the outfield players, I might build sessions for about forty minutes because we all know it they 're never really on time you know in, in a perfect world they are going for 30 minutes. I've got a 30 minute session. Boom. All of a sudden a 30 minute mark, we all integrate and it's smooth and it doesn't always happen that way. You know, most times there's always a little bit, you know, they get stuck on something and next thing you know, if I'm only working on that 30 minutes, now all of a sudden they go to 40 minutes, there's a 10 minute window and what happens to the rhythm? Their rhythm is broke and now all of a sudden they're integrating and it, it kind of falls to pieces. So I know for myself, I always build a little bit extra in sessions. So, if they do go a little bit over, again, going back to that rhythm and flow, it doesn't break their rhythm and flow. And as soon as they call us, boom, they're right in, and now we're joining. So, that's something the way I do. I'm not sure if you guys do something similar, but I know it's always a problem here uh, or any other club I've always been with. You know, you always have, you know, you know in an ideal world, that the, the times always don't mesh of when they need us and when our sessions are going to come, come to an end.
4: Paul, you're awfully quiet down there, mate.
3: I'm actually, I was thinking about, uh, so it's funny, a funny story. I don't know if
1: I should tell it, but I will tell it. So I was uh, Tottenham a training, right? Uh, Tony Parks is a goalkeeping coach. Harry Redknapp's the gaffer. Uh, I think the goalkeepers at the time were Cudicini, Gomez, and that the young lad that ended up going on loan everywhere. Anyway, this would have been probably mid-2000s. So watching the session and with the goalkeepers, and they, they're on the second field, and all of a sudden, one of, the, uh, one of Harry's assistants come up. I think it was, uh, She might have been Clive Allen, comes up and he waves over and he's like, goalkeepers, goalkeepers. Parksy doesn't move, doesn't even budge. And I'm like, all right, just carried on watching. Next minute, uh, what's his name? Bond Bond comes up, screaming across. And a, a few choice words, I don't know who this is going to, so I won't repeat it. We need the, we need the two goalkeepers. And Parksy turns around and throws some unbelievable abuse back at them. And basically says, we planned for, whatever, 45 minutes. This is 32 minutes. You'll get them at 45 minutes. I don't come into your session. So this is going on over the, the whole length of the field. And I'm stood there just watching the keepers appearing themselves. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, it goes on and eventually, Parksy at 45 minutes, or whatever the number was, the time was, sends over a goalkeeper. Uh, at the end of the session, all hell broke loose. It was unbelievable. And, and I always thought to myself, could I do it? could I stand there in the middle of a section and just tell the gaffer no chance you ain't having Um, and it was just very interesting I mean obviously I wouldn't do it but the uh it was it was an interesting situation because you know Parks he was really at the club Harry Redknapp came in um and that's what he said because I asked him afterwards and he was very open he did obviously a fantastic coach Tony Parks and he and he went through everything with it he said well you know we're we're paid professionals doing our job as well and if you roll this back around to what you're asking about young coaches and 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 whatnot i think one of the big things for me is the bit on the field is like clockwork that's the easy part it's the work off the field that people don't see that we do that to make that bit clockwork and easy on the field it's the stuff off the field like what we're all talking about you're planning your sessions jotting it down however you store it whether you film your sessions working from you know what's the objective this season for each keeper, what's the objective this, this six months, this, this month, this week, this day? Um, international break, when you maybe get a bit more time to work with somebody, what's your objective then? And they're going to be different for each of them, right? You've got whatever your three, four keepers, and this is where you can make sure you're touching on everything that's needed for each of the keepers. That's, I'm going say the difficult part, but that's the organisation, that's the professional part that I think a lot of people that want to be goalkeeping coaches, and coaches in general, it's not just goalkeeping, they, they don't seem to look at and they think it's, oh, you're on the field for an hour and a half or whatever it is a day and then your feet are up. It definitely is not that. I mean, this even in this break, and I'm, I'm, I've talked to Phil a fair bit as well, but all of a sudden it's like almost the first week was like, I've got time to get stuff done. I can get everything documented. I can go through bits I haven't gone through because unfortunately, for, I'm sure it's the same for all of us in the MLS, We don't have goalkeeping scouts. We don't have goalkeeping analysts. We don't have someone input in our sessions when we come back in off the field. So in the MLS, although we're trying to do the same as everyone else around the world, where we're talking the big four leagues, where we're talking about South America, Latin America, we don't have those resources. Yeah, we have great stadium. Our training facilities are getting better. We have players are earning good money now. Coaches are earning good money now. But there's some resources we just don't have. So there's a lot of that that people don't see, which comes into how to become a, for me, a professional coach rather than just a coach. And there's nothing wrong with just a coach if they're working with the right groups.
0: Yeah, and I think that's about being adaptable, right? And I mean, while we're on that topic, I think in this past off season with the USL guys that I trained uh, put on a session where it was about cutbacks. And sometimes those cutback sessions can be a little bit tricky because, you know, I, I try to budget that chaos where I say, okay, by drill number two there's going to be an opportunity where these guys are going to have a chance to finish live shots from that cutback position and it's up to them to put it on frame and unfortunately one of the goalkeepers that went in they kept missing the frame missing the frame and finally after probably the eighth or ninth shot that they missed on frame he had enough and he and I got into this shouting match about you know how the session wasn't doing him any good he didn't feel like he was getting any better he felt like he was regressing and so I kind of took that to heart. I feel like I lost a little bit of confidence when I walk off that field. I drove home and felt really just not good about the way I designed the session and maybe I could have done things differently. So for for you guys, have you guys ever had a bad session and how did you guys recover from that? And also another question that I've been getting that is you know alluded to this as well is uh, paralysis by analysis. And I think a lot of us younger coaches are trying to put on this like perfect session together. And sometimes that can be, a lot of weight to carry because a perfect session is very hard to come by. So I guess my two questions are, have you guys ever had a bad session and how did you recover from that? And also to with the perfect session, putting on a perfect session, any feedback for coaches that are currently going through that kind of phase? Omar, we've
2: all had sessions that don't go the way you <laughs> Sessions, exercises, uh, a bad serve, you know, strikers don't hit the target every time they take a shot. You know, so isolating the movements is one thing. Is, is that goalkeeper prepared and ready to make a save? Should it be on that? When you, when you talk, and going back to the other question a little bit as well about chaos, the, the game is chaos, right? So your training needs to replicate that. And that, that should be the end point or as close to before the players actually go and join the rest of the team anyway. Uh, and that's where the real chaos begins. But, I mean, as, as a coach... It, it very rarely, very rarely ends up being the way that you, you don't walk off the field every day and say, oh, that was a great session. Uh, if you're like me, you actually go out there and you say afterwards, how could I have done that better? You know, That didn't go the way I wanted it to, or what can I do? With The, the boss wants them five minutes early. Are they prepared to step in and face the chaos? So really, you've got to take a look at this and say, uh, as a coach, how can I make myself better? What would I do next time? Document it. Watch the video. Paul, As Paul said, a lot of sessions are videoed. Um, whether you show that video or not, is totally up to you. But look at it yourself and, and assess. Like I, I share videos with lots of different people to get their input because as a, as a coach, you're always looking to say, well, how can I make this more relevant to the game? And often, sometimes it comes from a discussion with one of the goalkeepers as well. And again, there's that relationship and trust factor.
1: Yeah, Omar, I mean, there's, yeah, everyone has bad sessions, but the there's times I go out with a topic and then I go back and think about what we talked about as a group and nothing was about the topic.
4: Right.
1: It was all about maybe some movement, yep. positioning, where it relates to the game, but we're actually not talking about what I'd set out to accomplish. Now, you're still getting a session in, I mean, as long as you're not trying to do, you know, for me, I mean, not, not to make fun of anybody or belittle anything, but. I'm quite specific that I won't do certain things that are out there as trends right now. And I try to keep it closer to being in the goal around the six, around the 18, around 25 yards. But it doesn't mean it's going to go the way you want it to. And I'll take it back even to a different environment. We run a couple of free sessions here for goalkeepers up to, I think it's up to 16 years old. And when I mean we get a lot of keepers, we get like 100, 120 keepers. I mean, it's a free session. And Jason's working with me. Brenton's working. All the boys are working. There was about three years ago. I had did a session, and obviously I'm overseeing it, and I'm setting it up. And it was the worst session I've ever run in my life. And when I mean, and if you talk to Jason, ask him, he'll he'll piss himself listening to this. For a year, I didn't shut up about it. Like I just didn't shut up about it. Like this one session, it actually ate away at me because my inability to put on what I said I would and manage the staff, which the whole thing was a disaster from top to bottom. And Jay's going, no, 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 it looked good from the outside, looked good from the outside. I'm like, no, it was crap. And it really did. It stuck with me. That's never happened in the pro game or in the international game. For some reason, you always feel you get something out of it, right? I mean, and and the truth is, you're going in with a team anyway. And like Phil said, we go into shooting activities. I mean, I used to do it a lot when I first came to the Dynamo. I would count ones on target out loud to try and obviously one to spur the forwards on a little bit, also to get into the other coaches a little bit. You know, I'd be like, all right, we've been going for three minutes, two on target, going to do well on Saturday, you know. And one, it puts more pressure on the keepers, because then if they, you know, the forwards put four or five in on a spin, it's coming on me. And goalkeepers might not thank you for that. But for, you, you can't, it's not going to go the way you want, because it's the game of football. You know, who can account for Tim Flowers making a mark in the middle of his goal? Scooping down to pick the ball up and it going over his shoulder. Or Pepe Reina having it hit a beach ball. I mean, they, they, they're outlandish things that go on in the game, right? But you, you you can't plan for those things. All you can do is plan your session and try and execute it. And, and at the end, you just got to assess it in every way you can. And at, at a pro level, you can ask the players. I, mean, I used to ask Joe Willis all the time. I'd be like, what did you think of that? What did you think of that? And there's a couple of times when he's just shaking his head at me. I'm like, all right, well, we we'll won't do that one again. So you, you've got to have that. But that's all about going back to the communication that Todd's talking about, the respect, going backwards and forwards. It's not about being their friend. It's about them knowing you're putting on or trying to put on what's going to make them better come the weekend.
4: I, I just double something that Paul said there at the beginning. Um, you know, so many times you put on a session with a specific plan and then when you walk away from the session, at the end of the session, the, the, the plan will have worked, but the thought process and the conversation throughout the session with your goalkeepers will be completely of something different than what you wanted it to be. You know, you're talking about uh, shots through traffic or whatever you might be seeing on the weekend and you end up talking about movement and depth, things like that, that spark different conversation with your goalkeepers that you're actually thinking about when you put the session together, which I think is fantastic, personally. You know, and then you, you take a little bit of it and take away from it. The other piece of it too, and, and you know, Paul makes a great point here, I'll take Tim. Tim was a great example. There were sessions that we put on across four years where once every two weeks he would say, Sharpie, I want that session today. Like that'll be, don't change anything, replicate the exact same session because he felt it's what he needed in that week, you know? And and like Todd said about managing the the older guys that, you know, having that communication and that openness for them to come to me and say, Hey, you know, he'll stick his head around the corner in the morning and say, Hey Sharpie, whatever you've got on the books today, wipe it. I want this great no problems at all because he felt that's what he needed to prepare for that game on the weekend and I think those moments are massive learning moments for all of us
3: but uh, no I mean the only thing I would you know back up with what Sharpie just said is you know being and I had Nikki was very similar to the Timmy when I'm putting together a, an exercise or something there was many times you know I would give say Nikki an option so maybe we were I had it set out to be a half volley or a ball off the floor or whatever and I would ask him Hey, what do you feel? What type of service do you think you need from this type of exercise? You know, this is the exercise I like, I want to put on. These are the reasons why, but do you want to, do you want to change this type of service? You know, cause at the end, especially if it was, you know, the day or two, you know, match day minus one or a match day minus two, something like that where he knew exactly what he wanted to see on a particular day. And I would give him a little bit of that, that, uh, that leeway. And I, again, that comes back to that communication piece with, with your individual goalkeeper and maybe more so with the 40-year-old goalkeeper than maybe you're going to do with the 20-year-old goalkeeper.
0: For sure, and I think adaptability is a skill, right? I think it's something that we can chalk up as something that you need to work on constantly so that you have the ability as a goalkeeper coach, especially in the first team environment, to adapt to your goalkeeper's needs, what the goalkeeper needs for the weekend, what your number two and number three may need throughout the week to keep them sharp. So understanding that it's a skill and it's a process that over time you get better at. And one thing that Chris and I actually were texting about a few days ago was that as important as it is for us to remind our goalkeepers to continuously add tools to their toolbox, it's just as important for us goalkeeper coaches to constantly be adding new tools to our toolbox as well do you guys feel like you've added more tools to your toolbox since you started coaching and is there one that's really stood out to you like adaptability that you guys would want to share or that you feel has really helped you as a goalkeeper coach throughout the years
3: i I think for me just you know the situation that we're in right now with not being able to be on the field um You know, I don't know if there's any one specific thing. I mean, I've just, uh, there's a wide variety of things that I've learned just from little sessions like this that I've watched, you know, Phil Sharpie, you know, Paul doing all these types, different types of things. And it's, and it's something that in the course of a season, we don't really have the chance and the opportunity to do as much, you know, I wish we did, uh, based on the situation, now I'm spending a lot more time, you know, doing online learning type of thing with little podcasts like this and learning different philosophies, different, uh, you know, methodologies of how people are doing things. And for me, that's, it's the one positive that's kind of come out of this situation that we're in. And it's been very, very enjoyable. And I'm actually looking forward to, you know, Maybe taking somebody's methodology and the way they go about things and maybe adding it to my toolbox a little bit and saying, you know, because there's been a lot of different things of, that different guys have said. And I'm like, you know what, I really like that. Or sessions online that I have little exercises that, I, that I've watched. And I was watching something last night on uh, it was based on wide receivers. And it was kind of these individual programs for wide receivers. And the guy was doing uh, what he do called like hand yoga you know it increased their their dexterity in their hands and their flexibility and doing a lot of little things with tennis balls and am I going to do that kind of stuff every day with a goalkeeper no but I might add that to my toolbox and something that that I found was useful and that wasn't even coming from the soccer world or the goalkeeper world for that matter you know that was something from from outside you know the NFL um, but where is
2: that would, you, would that help me Absolutely not. <laughs>
3: <laughs> your, hands, your hands look very similar to Nikki's, actually.
1: Actually, they look very similar to Gollum's, but we won't go there, no. But <laughs> about uh, anything from you as well? Uh, yeah, for me, it's a lot of off the field stuff how to share information, how to try and gain that 0.1% that we're all looking for. Um, of course, there's different gizmos and gadgets. you know make fun of Sharpie there a little bit, but there's different gizmos and gadgets you use in training, light balls, wobble balls, reaction nets, dummies, poles. Blah, blah, blah. It doesn't. You know that That's to facilitate your session. I think the big thing for me is how to get the information into the players and then make sure the players are ready to train. And the one thing that's, that's obviously moving in our sport is the level you have to train at because of the level you have to play at so the speed the games becoming the uh, the stress on the body whether it's the travel whether it's the amount of games and that's going to get worse for all of us when this comes you know the season comes back around we could be playing you know four games a week all those things are going to become so important so obviously we signed a, a foreign keeper who isn't going to be used to the amount of travel that we do so there's there's one thing that i've got to work with with him and you can't just tell them because you, you, they were like yeah okay i'm going to get on an aeroplane you know, so you, you've got to come up with your ideas of how you want to do it. I go back to when I first came in the league here at the Dynamo in, in 15, until that season, they hadn't had a sports scientist. So when Paul Caffrey come in, uh, Paul's fantastic, he was the first one they'd had. So the mentality of the players there, there was no gym work. It was, I'll go and lift, like their type of lifting or what they send on YouTube or whatever. So you, you, I still personally feel as a club a little bit here with a dynamo and probably in the league we're behind in areas i don't think we're behind in that area anymore but we're behind in certain areas because again we go back to we don't have the resources or 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 the people to do it and they're the little things where we've got to say okay you can't just turn around and go ah we ain't got it so we're not going to do it you've got to think how can we add to that what little thing can i do to make up for what we don't have. Example, I, I just on the phone to Jason, our academy coach, before I got on this and he did a Zoom call with with some of the academy keepers, small group, three clips, Q&A, they're going through the clips, they went through Adrian's, Adrian's clips in uh, in Liverpool's Champions League game just to get that communication and that education still going. So there's little things like that that can be going, going all the time. I'm doing it with the coaches. So with Jason, with Ryan, with Brenton, we're doing this type of education because go full circle with what todd's just said we don't have an opportunity to do this when we did the the pilot license for the, for the us soccer and we probably all got our own views on what it was like but i think we all thought it was good being together that was the one thing we thought was the most beneficial was being in the same room together you know and those things are missing they're massively missing because we're so far apart from each other so it's not like. I can just drop down the road and, and see Todd working with the academy at RSL. you know. But if you're coaching at Tottenham, you can drive an hour and you see you've got 14 different clubs that you can go and watch stuff at. So th- that part of it for me off the field, the, the tools and the toolbox and what can you add, what did you add that didn't work, all those sort of things are massive.
2: And I think yeah. now at this time, at this time when we, we're all sort of stuck indoors, like even even these things and talking to, to you four like sparks different thoughts and uh not, nothing from Paul actually, let's let's just say the other three, but <laughs> sparks different thoughts about what you know, things that we could be doing. And and with the lack of centralized goalkeeping resources, shall we say, uh, in the country, I think it's important that we we take a look at different um sports. Are there is there some something in wide receivers that we can take is there something in cricket is there something in Aussie rules football is it you know other things that the way people train their body and their movements and the ability to catch or or push a ball away uh you know are there some cross training ideas that we can take and and typically already this season obviously this is my first season back in the MLS for 10 years or so so um I thought I'd have a lot more time like come in do the video have more time and no you don't because you're Consistently doing other things as well, so this this time is an ideal time to to learn and share information. Um, so I'm I'm taking from from everyone, like Omar, as you know. I've been on every every one of the podcasts that you had, um, and I've been on different podcasts, listening to other people as well, just just to try and learn. And some of it's even just about sports performance and different ways that you know stability exercises, core exercises that I could then potentially translate into goalkeeping so i think this is a a great opportunity for us
0: for sure and i think that's super important i think sometimes maybe even a a common misconception between uh Coaches who are trying to make it to the next level and then coaches who are at the next level where we think that you guys already have a team of people that who are gonna be breaking down your film, who are gonna be sending you guys the clips that you guys want them to send. But no, it's it's actually the opposite. You guys are actually being the ones that are proactive and having to learn new software, new technology to bring the best to your goalkeepers. And hearing that from you guys for me is is important because you know, I think sometimes when us coaches who are trying to have aspirations, who have aspirations to get to that next level, we can kind of sometimes forget that the work doesn't stop once you get to that next level. It's just beginning. And you got to really, really continuously be almost obsessive about it and get more and more involved and try to evolve at every session and every opportunity that you can. So uh, I tweeted about it a few days ago and I just kind of thanked you guys for coming on these podcasts and and doing this panel discussion because us younger coaches when we hear it coming from your guys' minds, it's building that foundation of good information and quality information that's going to help us, you know, when we try to get to that next level. So thank you guys for Doing that, and I think that's super important to uh, to have. So, and to move forward, I kind of wanted to bring one of the topics that we've all discussed in our little Instagram lives, and that is how to make your sessions a bit more game realistic. And I know Phil, you and I discussed this uh, on, on your podcast and I actually made a graphic about it and talking about the kind of reverse engineer and how you kind of go about putting your sessions together to make them more realistic. So Phil, are there any key components that you would suggest coaches to really hone in on when they're trying to make their sessions more game realistic? Well, for me,
2: I started a big picture. You know, uh, what does the game look like? What is the situations that the games are, are presenting? And then how do I chunk it down from there and build not not only on a certain topic, but build to where that topic might be, p- might be part of the, the end product. Um, sometimes, obviously, as coaches, we design our practices, sometimes in correlation with the team. So if the, if the team is working on, say, playing against a team that is weak in the flanks, you're looking to serve the box and attack the box, uh, and we're working on on 1v1s that doesn't really correlate so you know sometimes we do that correlation but for me I, I take the the big picture what does the end picture look like and then take it back and try and design a session from there that will prepare the goalkeepers to go into that environment
4: yeah i'll i'll jump on that i i, I agree with phil completely you know for my guys you know on a sunday or a monday prior to the, the following weekend's games they they will receive video from me i'm what they're going to look like, whether it's the front four, front five of the opposition, um, you know, they're set attacking patterns and, you know, what we're going to see, we're going to see crosses, we're going to see cutbacks, we're going to see, you know, shots from distance, we're going to see a, a 10 that likes to, you know, try and thread ball through um, and then kind of build back from that piece of it, from what they're going to see from the, from the game day backwards through the week. So, you know, and again, similarly, like what Phil's saying there too, you know, you're looking at what our team's going to be doing also to try and counteract what they're doing. So, there's a balance in that as well. But I think from, from the starting from the end picture and working your way back to where you are in your session planning at the beginning, I think it, it is very
2: important. I think we also all still have uh, individual development pieces that we want to hit as well with our goalkeepers. And you've got to make sure you get that piece in. And sometimes, sometimes that does mean that you don't necessarily get the... You don't get to work on crosses because, hey, this is our, you know, it's whatever day of the week it is that you had planned to do something else. And it's important for your goalkeeper to progress in a certain area. But, you know, for the most part, for the most part, I think we followed a, a similar pattern.
3: I agree wholeheartedly with every, everybody saying here, you know, the only thing that I can really add that's something that I do again, and it kind of goes to that, that communication piece again, is when I get the session planned together, Every morning when they come into their locker, the session plan is in, is in their locker. So they actually get a chance to see what we're going to be doing. So for me, it's, it's, I want them to kind of know a little bit of what we're doing. So when we get out to the field, we're not taking any, as much time to maybe explain the exercise. Everything's drawn up. Everything from phase one all the way to phase whatever before we integrate is all mapped out on the field and all set. And we're just going from one set to the next, to the next, to the next. And it's not so much, okay, now we're done with that phase. Now we're going in here and i got to explain it. They kind of see everything. So I think for me, that's that's very important. I want them to kind of know a little bit. Plus it creates some of that dialogue of this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. Uh, This is where this exercise is coming from, from the game that we're going to be seeing on the weekend. Uh, And it just gives them a little bit of an idea of what we're going to be doing.
0: Well, I'm sure I think everyone's covered everything, but if you want to add in.
3: No, I
1: think everyone's touched on the on the pieces that that we all we all go through on a daily basis weekly basis
0: all right and building off session plans i kind of want to discuss you know the academy system and what are the levels of importance and what are you guys prioritizing for them because you know with goalkeeping there's so many different categories you know shot stopping crossing distribution 1v1s and you know how do you guys rank them in terms of importance and i know chris you work with the uh, rapids academy what is it four times a week So when you're working with them, and I know there's periodization and and all that, but is there a ranking of importance based off of the level that you're coaching at or what the scouting report uh, or what the team's style of play is? So can you guys kind of elaborate on that?
4: I'll kick that off. For me, with the older group in in the DA, I try and follow a similar format to what I do with the first team. And it's purely because you know we'll have two, one, maybe two of the goalkeepers of the 19s or 17s in with us at some point during the week just to obviously – now, as Paul mentioned earlier, we have a, a USL team down the road now. So our number three goes down there majority of the week to play. But yes, you've got to find times during that week to to balance the learning process for them as well. Um, we'll try and spend one of those nights, if we can, for part of it in a classroom, looking at film from their weekend as well, um, which I think is very important for their learning and, and their tactical side of it also. But it is trying to follow, for me... In the, in the culture that I've built at the club is trying to follow a similar pattern to what the first team is doing, especially for those 15 through 19 boys. Year 12 through 14 is very different. It, it's, a, it's a learning phase. It's a, you know, it's about having them find who they are as a goalkeeper, trying to teach them the technical and tactical sides of it and, and, and develop them so they are progressing through those learning age groups. And, and as Paul, I, I do agree with Paul wholeheartedly. I think that 17, 16, 17, 18 age group is a very, very important time in those goalkeepers and that is a time going back to your original question whether you're looking at them going are they going to be good enough or are they not and the person above you is saying yes or no but I think for me it's following a, a general pattern for the first team to give them an idea of how we we work especially that we're in a club that's got you know first team and academy and a USL so that that's just my approach to it throughout the club.
0: And Paul how have you and Jason kind of worked through that uh, with the academy and through the first team?
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we just did a presentation actually on it. I'm not sure if I can share it or not because I think the lad sells it. Um, but the, uh, basically about that, the how we structure a day is exactly the same, not saying it's the same content, but it's exactly the same. So if a, if a 15 year old ends up training with us, there's no shock. You know, how the session progresses from the activation with calf, um, where there's a little bit of strength work there into the session and then how the session flows. Doesn't change whether it's the Academy, the first team, or, or USL, uh with Ryan down there now. And the same with our week where our weeks are different because of the off day. Uh we're, we're typically we're off now on a Monday. But the Academy, for whatever reason, are off on a Thursday. So it, there's got to be a little bit of balance to that. But the low, medium, high, the low high days, all of that stuff is the same. Our Academy are now in the G five units as well from Catapult. So even data changing. I mean, we're in the sevens, but it's, it's all yeah, six, one, half doesn't the other. All of that's the same. How they go through film's the same. So everything is mirrored throughout the club. And that was the big thing. And let me tell you, it's taken time to get to do that. And an introduction of Ryan down at RGV has really helped that as well, because a lot of it's based off of what we do. It's not someone doing it for us. You know, we've got to edit our own training video, edit obviously our own game video, do our own analysis, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but we're keeping it exactly the same to make it easier for for the player. Really, it's not it's not about us. It's actually more work, but it's easier for the player to move through them and using like terminologies the same
3: um, stuff like that. Todd,
0: so, do you have anything else?
3: I mean, for me, uh, I mean, we we've got a unique situation here. We got a first team, we got a USL team, and we have the academy all under one roof which is awesome. So at any point, you know, an academy kid can jump into the first team training uh, or a Monarchs training or vice versa. So I know one thing that we have here is we, we have uh, an evaluation after every training session. So whether they're a first team goalkeeper, they're a Monarchs goalkeeper, or they're an academy goalkeeper, they're all going to get a, a daily evaluation from whatever coach they're, they're at. So, if, for example, if an academy kid comes and trains with the Monarchs, Mirza, who is our USL goalkeeper coach, will do that evaluation. If they're coming in with me, then I'll do it and vice versa. And then everybody is evaluated on the same criteria. So with the MLS or the standard is like, say, MLS all-star all the way to an average academy goalkeeper. So it gives us a little bit of an idea of kind of where they are on a consistent basis. So regardless of who they're training with, whether they're training with the first team, the Monarchs, or or the academy. Uh, So then we can take a young academy kid and, say, maybe look at their mentality. And over the course of, say, a three-month span, and we're hoping that it's not having a lot of peaks and valleys. It's somewhat consistent. But then we can compare them to, say, a Zach McMath and Andrew Putnam, a more experienced goalkeeper, and say, look, this is kind of where their levels are in a consistent three-month span. This is kind of where yours are. So um, that's worked really, really well for us. It does add a lot more work for all of us because we're constantly evaluating, you know, and taking notes all the time uh, and adding to their IDPs on a a pretty much a daily basis. Uh, But that's one way that we can kind of compare goalkeepers as well from, from the three different levels that we have under our roof.
0: All right, guys, so we're just crossing over the hour mark here and I have a few more questions and I'll get you guys out of here, but one question that's been on my mind for a while is, you know, sometimes I go watch first team sessions and when I watch them, I pay really close attention to the starting goalkeeper and then how they compare to the backup goalkeeper and then how the backup goalkeeper compares to the third option. And I'm just watching for those key little differences, whether it's catching the ball in the bubble or who has better uh, handling or better parrying ability or better judgment on crosses or decision making. So, for you guys and your experiences, have you guys ever had those situations where you're having to make a marginal decision because such a fine margin between the starter and the backup? And from that experience, what are the little things that you guys are looking for that help you make those decisions?
1: Yeah, for me, it's, it's whoever's going to win you the game or give you the best opportunity to win the game. It, it's, a, it's a good question because if you, when you do your session and you're just with the goalkeepers, and then obviously you move with them into the team, team activities and then through the rest of the session you can sometimes walk off the field and the other coaches will say to you all oh, the goalkeepers were good today not the goalkeeper the goalkeepers were good to you, good today and then you look at your session you're doing your, your session your session and you might agree or disagree with your part now there's those other days where you walk in the office and you're like oh, they were really good with me today and the coach turns around and goes what the hell was he doing in their part and the truth is that's the part that matters we can talk about our part and how great it is and the, you know, how much we get on and the work's brilliant, everyone's grafting. But if they don't then do it when they shift into you know, building out the back, shooting, 4v4s, 1v1s, 11v11s, 8v8s, if they don't do it then, it doesn't matter. And, and the, the decision, I've always, me personally, if a coach says to me, who's going to play, Sharpie or Phil, I will give my answer and I'll give my reasons. And I won't waver because you're making that decision every day. Every day you're saying to yourself, right, if we have to play tomorrow, it's him. If we have to play tomorrow, it's him. And I've done the same wherever I've been in college, international pro youth. Doesn't matter. I've always been the same. Um, And I won't waver. I'll get in the argument that that's one thing with a head coach. I'm happy to argue all day long. However, head coach turns around and says, right, I want you want to play Chris I want to play Phil fine I've made my point clearly it's not an argument it's a point and I've backed it up with why you cho- you've chose to go with the other one no problem it's all it's all out there now and if if that goalkeeper doesn't do well I'm not going to come back into the gaffer and go oh by the way <laughs> good decision you just don't do it because you're part of a team as well as a goalkeeping coach um and at the end of the day they're not your players you know, a lot of a lot of coaches say what are your goalkeepers doing? They're not my goalkeepers. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah, I wanted to sign them or whatever, but at the end of the day, they're the head coaches. Every player is the head coach's player. And our job is to try and make the head coach as good as possible, whoever we're working for. And that's the bit for me that I think does separate some younger coaches and some more experienced ones. Because I've obviously been in some situations with off-the-field drama that's come onto the field with the national team and with the Dynamo where these these questions are legit questions. And the coach is looking at you saying, make a decision and live and die by your decision, by the way. But for me as a coach, if you're talking to young coaches, they've got to be able to stick to what they believe in. Of course, adapt and, you, and you're and you going to change over time. But even your coaching philosophy, and it can change, but don't let it change because someone talks you into it. You know, Just because I say, oh, you shouldn't do this, in my opinion, doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. That's just how I am. And I think that is very, very important to young coaches because too many I've worked with, without making it sound bad, they fold like a deck of cards when you put the pressure back on them. And if you want to work at a professional level, there's pressure. And you should enjoy the pressure. You should enjoy those conversations. You should enjoy those challenges. And you know, when you're making your choice between your two, three, four goalkeepers, for me... I really don't like it when I hear people say, oh, it could be either one of them. No, it can't. Someone is always better, right? You're never exactly the same. And depending on the game you're going into, yeah, that might change it. Or the same if someone's poor for a game. You shouldn't, in my opinion, you shouldn't just be like, oh, well, then you know, blame that person. They're done. Any player. You know, it doesn't work
2: that way. But that's my opinion. Phil, Anything? No, Paul just took up 20 minutes of the podcast there. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it, there, there are all sorts of other things that go into it. I mean, obviously, there there's uh, other decisions that go on behind closed doors that um, dictate what happens a lot of times uh, at the professional level. But if, if you are in a competition, if you do have – two goalkeepers or three goalkeepers that are vying for that starting spot, you know early on who the number one is going to be based on on a number of different things. And I think Paul has touched on all of it.
0: Yeah. So to piggyback off what Paul said is that sometimes where the goalkeepers are leaving your guys' sessions and then going to the first team and integrating with the team, sometimes they may not do as well as they did in your guys' session. And again, the coach notices that. And Chris, you and I spoke about this in the pro series where you know, trying to reproduce or simulate game live situations and game realistic situations is very difficult because obviously there's limitations. And, you know, one of those limitations is creating authentic or recreating authentic pressure. And Eric Klonowski, one of my buddies who plays for T2, he and I were actually discussing this and how do, you know, coaches at the next level really try and recreate that layer of authentic pressure where the goalkeeper is being forced to make decisions and make saves under that duress so that that technique can actually be called upon to be used properly come game day and, again, being integrated with the team. So how have you guys gone about recreating that pressure and that live feeling and live environment in your sessions over the years?
4: I think it goes back to what Paul said originally. Who's going to give you the best opportunity to win the game? And I – you know, I actually really emphasise it's something that I pushed pretty hard for in this preseason, because I had a, I had a young crew, and you were with me for a bit, Omar, I had a young crew in, in the in the preseason, and I didn't have Will Yarbrough at that point, who has obviously had experience to to Clint, but it was winning. So obviously coming into to to my session with the thirty or thirty five or forty minutes, whatever it was. Um, then going off into playing, whether it was a possession game where they're using their feet um, or it was a 4v4, 5v5, 6v6, crossing and finishing, whatever it was. But it was, I was emphasising you must be winning everything that you're in. And if, when it's leaving me and it's going to, to the team environment, you know, I'm, I'm going to – we've got three goalkeepers. The one who wins the small side of games the one state, you know, or, or whatever it looks like. It, it's, it's, a, it's a creating a winning – a pressure and winning environment every day so they are taking that into the weekend games and I think for me obviously it depends on the level you're at and it goes back to what Paulie said but who is going to give you that best option to win a football game on a weekend that I think comes from every day and that pressure for me just put on them by making sure that when they're in a crossing and finishing session or a small sided session or a possession session where the target's at the end and they're using their feet that their team is the absolute best team in any given moment on any given day and that for me is pressure alone because. Like you said, you walk back in the office after and the boss looks at you and goes, X, Y, Z, he was very, very good today. And again, he won the games. And the next day, again, he won the game. It becomes a, a tangible piece of, of evidence for, on a daily basis. So I think for me, the pressure part of it is winning. On, on a At our level, is winning every day. Winning for me is number one. And that is what's going to be the difference between the one, the two, the two and the three and the pressure on a daily basis.
3: Any, Todd, anything? Yeah, I agree. You know, and we, we track a lot of that. You know, if they're, if, they're, if we're playing small-sided, like 77 or 5v5 or even 11v11, who's winning games? You know, they do it for the outdoor door player or outfield players. We also do it for their goalkeepers as well. You know, I think that's a, that's a key component because if all of a sudden you're looking, you think that the, the player you think should be playing on the Saturday now has lost every small-sided, every large-sided game throughout the course of the week. Is that really the one that you really want to go to battle for you on the Saturday? So I think keeping that competitive kind of cauldron, so to speak, uh, of who is winning games and who's competing and who's battling on a daily basis is very, very important. You know, it goes along in your, your decision on who's going to wear the number one jersey on the weekend.
0: Yep. Uh, or, oh, Paul, sorry. I, don't want to yeah, <laughs> I, I, just,
1: I just got two, two points on it because it's, it is, again, it's a we all scout players. We're, we're scouting academy players or first team players, whatever. We're, we're scouting. And how do you scout a winner? It's been a conversation we've had a lot. Yesterday, we were going through the player profiles and under every category of the goalkeeping, the last bullet point is winner. Physical, technical, psychological, social, doesn't matter. You've got to be a winner. There's no point in having a player that you're later going to turn around and trying to... I don't like it when, and I do it as well, when you say, oh, this player's soft. Well, Why? Why are they soft? And why did you bring them in if they're soft? Because we look at, are oh, they technically they're good tactically? But can they win games of football? And if you go through and look at the MLS and, and the players that have been outstanding in the league, and you look at the US national team, you're talking about Tim and, and Ramondo right now. They're winners. Like that's that's the, the simple part of it. And obviously we had DeMarcus here and watching DeMarcus Beasley get so frustrated for losing a 5v5 game was so pleasing when you'd see other players that it just was like alright on to the next so that that part for me is, is massive is, is creating that winning mentality and a way we do it even with the young kids and I'm talking about 8 year olds we work with you hear about I'll finish on a good one that does not exist in my world if we're doing 6 reps and you let the 6th one through your leg and people are always going to argue and go oh but what about confidence what about confidence well what happens in a game when it happens? Yeah. You've got to be able to carry that mistake into the next thing and get rid of it. Now, I'm not saying if a player turns around and says, I'd like to get five more of those in. Of course, we're going to do it. But when we're doing competition stuff or we're doing set things that are numbers, it's, for me, you've got to be a little bit ruthless because that is the reality. You know? Or you make a weldy onto, the, onto the, the post, comes back off of, a, off of your leg or a disc are you going to slide it in or let them have the weldy? Or are you going to make them make a second save? For me, rattle the back of the net because they've got to learn this is the reality. And that's whether they're an eight year old or a 40 year old for me. That, they're the two things with the winning that are, I think are important for coaches.
2: It's huge. Yeah. Phil? I mean, we, we, everything's been touched on. I think it's, uh, you know, we're, we're all dealing with uh, people that are going to want to win us games and, and can win us games on the weekend. So, you know, winning is essential.
0: No, for sure. And I think that's such an interesting point about that winners mentality and kind of doing our part as coaches to kind of bring that organically out of uh, our goalkeepers in the sessions with those competitions. And I think for me sometimes I don't do that well enough because I want my sessions to look good and I want my goalkeepers to leave the session feeling good that like they got, you know, a good workout versus trying to create that adversity organically. And yeah, if they mess up on that last rep, yeah, you're not going to get an opportunity in a game to to redo that rep. So sorry, we're going to move on to the next exercise. So I think that's something that I'm definitely going to take uh, into my sessions. But in my opinion, I you know I feel like sometimes too, I don't know if it's through social media or what it is, but there are some kids who may be a little bit soft, and if when I do come at them, they don't respond well. And again, I don't know if that's social media or what it is, but you know, as young kids now, when you go on Instagram and YouTube, you're watching. Influencers or, you know, Manuel Neuer or Ter Stegen make these amazing, amazing saves without really much context and understanding what these goalkeepers are, you know, why the reason uh, they're being forced into these saves are. And then they go into sessions and they want to do those kind of exercises. And when it's something a little bit different, they don't respond well. So how do you guys feel social media is kind of influencing the position? And do you feel like us coaches can do a better job of creating those adversity moments in training?
2: Well, I think, uh, so social media is 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 good and bad, isn't it? Like, are we diving over things and rolling around things and climbing monkey bars and diving off the top? You know what what are we doing? Or does it does it revolve around the game? I think a lot of the times, a lot of the time, we have to make sure that whatever it is that we're doing, we can answer the question why, why are we doing that? How does that relate to the game? And how do we get the goalkeeper to be better by doing this? And if you can if you can coach the goalkeeper within whatever exercise it is, however old they are, and they can see a benefit from it, and it does relate to the game, I don't have a problem with it. So I wouldn't say, you know, but you've got to be honest and be truthful about it and not say, oh, good, good, oh, unlucky. That's the, that's the number one thing that young coaches say is, oh, unlucky." Well, may, maybe if you've given everything you've got and you just come up short because the ball is bending away from you and ends up in the top corner, maybe that's unlucky. If it goes through your legs, that's not unlucky. Um, so, you know, there, there is, uh, to go with, uh, uh, along with what Paul said a little bit, there's this little harshness that you do have to have if you want to develop some of the goalkeepers in a certain way. Um, obviously you're not, you're not going to be too ruthless with an eight-year-old. I don't, Paul might be, I don't know, but you're going to be too ruthless with an eight-year-old, but you're gonna, you've got to be able to help them. You've got to be able to give them the right information. But um, I, I think you know we've got to just make sure that everything that we do revolves around the game so, so that uh, we can also develop the goalkeeper's understanding of the position and understanding of the game.
0: For sure, Phil. And I think to that point, one question that I asked Paul in our podcast was, how do you walk that fine line of befriending a goalkeeper or the goalkeepers? And at the same time, too, being that voice of reason and being that stern voice that's going to help them get through that adversity at the same time, challenge them in sessions and in games. So for you guys, from your experiences, how have you guys been able to navigate those relationships? Because I know dealing with different personalities and again, your, your own personality coming out, it's a little bit uh, difficult when you get to that next level because of egos and so, and so on and so forth. So from your guys' experiences, how have you guys been able to navigate stuff like that?
3: I think, I think that's where yeah, I probably wish I had a psychology degree. Because I think it's so, uh, to some extent, if you're a, any coach at any level, you, you've got to be a bit of a psychologist. You've got to understand the psyche of the, the individual players that you're working with So and kind of knowing what, bush, what buttons I can push. Okay, I know I can push this player a little bit more. Okay, now I know that that player is a little bit on the edge, and now I maybe have to put my arm around him a little bit. So I think that, that psyche and that psychology piece is really, really critical of understanding exactly what level goalkeeper you, you're dealing with. And what is their psyche? You know, how do they operate? Because there's 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 players that we've all dealt with that you can just get on left and right, and it just keeps driving them. And then there's other players that you really got to coddle a little bit. You got to put your arm around them. you. Got to tell them it's going to be okay. And that's the way that they kind of blossom. Uh, and then there's players that are kind of in between. So I think you really have to you have to understand that in your players. It's and it's the same way as a goalkeeper. You know, with the back four that's in front of them. You know, they have to have that little psychological component to, to know how they can kind of get after somebody. Uh, if you're constantly berating somebody like Schmeichel used to just absolutely go at people left and right and pointing fingers and yelling and screaming, well, if you're doing that to your center back all the time and they're one of those players that's going to curl up in a little ball and not be able to play and perform for you, well, then you're not doing them very much justice and you're not going to help the situation. So you've got to kind of have that understanding, you know, uh, from a coach's standpoint as well as a goalkeeper's standpoint.
4: Yeah, I think it's very important. I think, you know, Todd touches a little bit on the psychology part of it there, too. I think it's also knowing your goalkeepers well enough to, to know, you know, when to push and when to back off a little bit, um, you know, the little triggers that will help them within sessions, you know, kind of find a, a moment if they have, like Phil said, gone through their legs, what's the next piece of it for them? But I think for the psychology side of it, it's, you know, if you've got a, a U19 goalkeeper like my U19 goal, I've had since he was eight years old. I know him inside and out and upside down. So I know what buttons to push, when to push it, when to put my arm around him, when not to, how to speak to him throughout games, what he likes, what he doesn't like. And I think it's, you know, in the environments that we coach in, whether it's the first team or the the academy, where you are got a little bit less numbers, um, it's knowing your goalkeepers inside and out and upside down for me, um, which is very important in the way I coach and, and understanding triggers and buttons to push when and where and how to do it. And, and is there time to put your foot down? Is there time to back off? And I think that's a, a learning process for us as coaches. I think it's a very much a learning process for them as goalkeepers as well. Um, you know, and I think for me, going back to your original question about, the current generation. I think like Paul said, there has to be a bit of a ruthlessness thought process in us as coaches, a bit of truthfulness, so to speak, when it isn't unlucky. You know, you have to tell them why they're doing it, why it was incorrect, why they did well, whatever it looks like, um, good or bad. But there has to be a a bit of a, a feel, a bit of a niche about that moment in environment that's going to help them progress if you're being truthful with them as a young player.
0: For sure, Chris. Yeah. And you guys are all making really good points. And I know we're running a little bit long and I kind of want to get to this final point and final question for each of you guys, which will be the same one. But I want to start with you, Phil. Is there anything you're noticing from the younger generation of goalkeeper coaches that are coming up right now uh, that you feel like you don't like and you feel like they need to change and get better at? Uh, just one thing. You can uh, you can say multiple. I mean, up to you. I think there's there's a lot a lot of room no, for growth I mean, for a lot of us. <laughs>
2: the the, the, the goalkeeper, as goalkeeper coaches, uh, I don't know of any other position that is out there that is as ruthless as goalkeeper coaches are to each other. There's the like the fun banter that we have here, and then there's the rip each other apart off the field piece. So um, I, I feel like a lot of coaches want like I, I got. Uh, a text this morning out of the blue um, from someone that I don't know really want to coach at the highest level how do I get there like they want everyone wants an immediate jump they want an immediate um, uh, opportunity you know you've uh, got to you, you got to put in the work you've you've got to do these things it's not showing up on the field with a bag of balls for an hour collecting 60 bucks from each kid and then leaving that's not goalkeeper coaching so you know, putting in the time, and sometimes that means taking a step back. Sometimes that means not coaching at the highest level for a while and to, to prove yourself. So prove yourself. That's, that's the number one thing. Don't expect an immediate jump. Prove yourself uh, and go through it. Uh, you know, take those steps to hone in on your coaching, to develop your philosophies. And the other one is let's try and stay away from what, what the sexy thing is at the time. So blocking. I mean – everyone's like you you go on wherever you go social media wise block block spread spread star save whatever you want to call it and, and we're teaching kids at such a young age to do that when we should be teaching how to catch a ball get your body behind the ball but you know correct body shape correct technique those saves are emergency saves but they've been sensationalized by by social media as you said before so so two things for me would be you know, earn your stripes, so to speak, and try and stick to the game, not necessarily what the next fad is, the next trend. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I don't know a lot of up-and-coming goalkeeping coaches, if I'm honest. I've kind of come out of that loop a little bit of, of being around a lot of, of different coaches. What I will say is I've, I've gone and found a few that I think are very good and employed them quickly because when they are good and they, they're willing to do the work, they're willing to do the sacrifices that you need to do in, in any, any profession, doesn't matter what profession we're in, then they all end up being successful. And I, you know, I, don't see, like I, said, I don't see a great deal. I told you about one that's at the club right now that I think is exactly what Phil's saying. They just want the reward. They want the badge and they want the money. Um, and I think I tell him every time I see him about you know, jobs I took to get experience, to take the next step. And then eventually jobs just come your way. You don't, you know, people say, well, how do you, how do you apply for this? I didn't apply for the national team. I didn't apply for Dynamo. Like people come to you or come through other people to get to you if you've done your job correctly before. And there's all that bit where Phil says it, they, they, they see people sitting at, you know, World Cups and, 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 FA Cup finals and MLS Cup finals and Premier League yeah. and they're like well these are the greatest coaches And we've had luck as well to get it like a lot of luck to end up where we end up I mean you're sitting on here right now three of us are foreign you know so th- th- we've been lucky really lucky and because we're foreign it doesn't make us different, better, worse but we've done what we need to do to get to, get to where we've got to it's, it's not a case of what I don't like I think it's more what i'd like to see i'd like to see a bit more humble a little bit more i want to learn you know i hear everyone hammer licensing and unfortunately licensing is exactly what gave me personally the the leap that i needed when i was younger um i was lucky i didn't when i was very young but it gave me it gave me a leap because it put me around people it wasn't just the structuring of sessions and learning your profession etc and i hear people today saying oh it's just a bit of paper eventually it is a bit of paper. But there is a lot to be learned, whether it's a week course, a weekend, a day, going to Phil's goalkeeping conference, attending these different learning opportunities. That's where you really earn your stripes, as, as Phil puts it, in my opinion.
4: Chris? I, I, I'm going to use Paul as an example here because I would like to see more of rather than less of. And I'm going to go back to our pro-license what was it 2018 I think we did it and Phil was our mentor and Paul got up and we had to present and this stuck with this stuck with me for for you know a good portion of everything but we got up to present and we had to be vulnerable to look to be fair to guys that I knew in that room very very well I think there was what Phil 10 of us 12 of us and Phil was our one of our instructors and we had to be vulnerable and it, it changed my thought process because it was three of the best five-day periods that I've ever had as a goalkeeper coach with other goalkeeper coaches who are like-minded and you know a little bit protected about what they wanted to do and then all of a sudden with well, the third meeting over the course of six months ideas and thoughts and sharing things and phone calls and emails and text messages and everything that you probably want to protect a little bit before I got there kind of went out the window and Paul got up and did a, a presentation he said look I'm going to be vulnerable here I didn't think I was going to say this I don't know if you remember that poorly but he kind of spoke and I, it just kind of opened a door for everybody that was like, okay, now we can kind of walk through it as as peers. And I would like to see more goalkeeper coaches aspire to being humble, but, you know, wanting to learn more. And, you know, it, it is not just turning up at a football field and collecting 50 bucks from the kids and then walking off. It is what people don't see you know, the three of us doing on a daily basis, which is, yeah, okay, you're on the field for 90 minutes in the morning, but there is another eight hours of the day that we're doing off the field to get ready for that 90 minutes in the morning. You know, it it, it is work. It is head down and grinding at your profession every single day. And we talked about this, this time here for the last two weeks that we've been off the field, I have never listened to as many podcasts and shared as many ideas and as many thoughts because we don't really have time to do that. On a process, you know, I speak to Paulie once every couple of weeks, and Phil, and and, Todd and but I think for me, what I would like to see more of is, you know, th- those aspiring coaches that are that are climbing their way up the ladder being more vulnerable to, to good criticism in, in what they do, rather than jumping on something. You know, we open ourselves up; we put a session out there. You know, we open ourselves up to to all kinds of criticism. I have no problems with that, and I love talking about it. But I would like to see more of that going off what Paul was saying.
3: And Todd. I agree 100%. I'm just sitting here smiling and listening to these guys because it's the same exact thoughts that kind of are going through my head. Uh, the one thing I definitely would, would like to see a lot of, kind of reiterates some of the same things, is keeping things simple. You know, I think goalkeeping can be a very, very easy game, uh, an easy position if we allow it to be but I think we overcomplicate a lot of different things at a lot of different levels. You know, we go, going back to, you know, what, what Phil mentioned about the block save. I mean, no more you and I have had this conversation. It drives me nuts. Does it have a place in the game? Yes. Is it over severely overtrained in my in my opinion at the moment? Yes. I'd like to see younger goalkeepers concentrating more on those simpler things, which is catch the ball. You know, at the end of the day, it's all about moving your feet and, and catching the ball. You know, and I think we've kind of got a little bit away from that. Uh, you know, I'm not sure about elsewhere throughout the course of the world. You know, these other three would, would have a, a better idea of that. But I know in this country, so to speak, it's definitely gotten away from, from the, what I call the nuts and bolts. Move your feet, catch the ball. So on top of everything, as they have also said, I think that is definitely something I think we need to really kind of get back on track, track with in this country.
1: Omar, one, yes. one, yes. one, one thing you've got to – you can stress – To to coaches is there is more goalkeeping coaches in this country than there is anywhere in the world, or people doing the profession, or trying the profession, or, or or building to become coaches. Universities have them, youth clubs have them, private ones all over the place. So it's the one thing that other places lack is people wanting to do it. Well, that's not an issue here. There's a lot of people that want to do it. The problem is guidance to the different levels, right? If you want to be great at being a youth team goalkeeping coach, you want to be great at being a you know, camp environment, which there's nothing wrong with camps. Camps are fantastic things. It's knowing where you fit in in the pyramid, so to speak, at a given time. And because you're in the pyramid at one spot, at another time, you could be in the pyramid at another spot. And that's the part that we've all hammered onto, and I feel more than any of us has hammered onto US soccer that there isn't anything. We have our academy kids go online and take the FA online goalkeeping. And we all give them Jason's a home address in England because you have to live in England to do it. And just to get them education. And it's, it's a sad thing. And if anyone anywhere can push who's watching this US soccer to do a better job of having goalkeeping licenses, the NSCAA, or, or I don't know what they're called, no, United Soccer Coaches, revamping theirs and basically moving it to become professional licensing rather than just going through the motions themselves. Because again, it becomes about money. Yes, you're going to earn money doing a license. If you're running a license, you will earn money. But make it structured so goalkeeping coaches have a pathway, rather than as all scrambling in different directions. And and we become the lucky few. And that's exactly what we are. We're the lucky ones, because we get opportunities from our clubs to go off and take licenses and be around other teams and watch other coaches, watch other sessions. If you can spread anything, or dem- make a demand for anything that's what it would be in my in my opinion that's what's needed for not just coaching to become even better but for the goalkeepers to become even better because at the end of the day if you have good coaches good goalkeepers and, and the want to do it you're, you'll end up with better players
0: agreed and i think that's the for me it's the biggest reason why i do what i do and, and try to create this platform for me, for you guys because i know that the curriculum are like with U.S. soccer, it's very difficult to move up the ranks as a coach because of, you know, the lack of, from United Soccer Coaches, lack of, you know, licensing and things like that. So having you guys being able to just share your ideas with just honest thoughts, I honestly I haven't met, it, it still surprised me. I, I told I told Sharp when I first met him, I said, Chris, you know, when I watch you on social media sometimes, I just, I didn't get like the, the full idea of you. I just had this mentality that MLS coaches or pro coaches, they, they have an ego about them. And when I met him, he couldn't have been even, couldn't have been the nicest guy. Phil too, nicest guy. Todd, even nicer. You guys have all been, Paul as well, you guys have all been so open. you <laughs>
4: out of that one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah what's not going on
1: there? <laughs> left out of that conversation, didn't
0: I? <laughs> yeah, but uh, you guys have all been very welcoming and open to share your ideas. And I think for that next generation, it's important for me to put your guys' faces out there and your guys' ideas and thought processes and the importance of sharing and, and creating that environment where it's not about you as the goalkeeper coach, but it's about goalkeeping in the United States and how we can improve that and the bigger picture for us needs to be at the forefront of the discussion. So thank you guys for coming on. I know it's some crazy times, and hopefully things get back to normal quick so we can kind of watch you guys back on the weekends because God knows we need to watch something on the weekend and, and see you guys back out there would make everybody a lot happier. So thank Anyone you guys. Anyone
2: know for, any good Netflix shows?
0: Uh, Tiger King. <laughs> no, 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 no not. <laughs> Very interesting. But, yes, uh, if, if also to you guys, I don't know about the IGCC, Phil, what's, what's going on with that yet, but if you wanted to – update everybody with that
2: uh not at the moment okay. uh, you know obviously there's there's things that are way way out of my control i uh, would love to see it happen uh, it's not looking very likely this year uh, okay. or, or in june i should say okay uh, looking at a potential different date
0: perfect well well i'll continue to update people based off of what you tell me but thank you guys so much again go do your stuff i know you guys got plenty of work to do and uh yeah we'll talk soon guys take care thank you thanks guys